You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Hello again, everyone. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm Doug Thorpe, and today we are going to continue a journey talking to another expert and someone who himself is an entrepreneur and has some great stories to share with us. His name is Bob Jordan. Bob, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Doug. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, I always like to start by asking you to kind of fill us in on a little bit of backstory. You know, what was your journey about that got you to where you are right now? And uh, you are on the clock. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we'll keep it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, give us give us a rundown on that. I'm your classic entrepreneur, Doug. I've been in a number of uh, startups. Uh, I helped or helped other entrepreneurs, other company founders. And um, among a multitude of sins, that is to say, failing uh, businesses, luckily I've been in uh, a couple IPOs and a number of exits where I was with an early stage team and we sold at a very high multiple to strategic buyers. Um, most notably, I, I was the founder of Online Access, it was the first magazine in the world that covered online and internet. And for the past 15 years, I've been helping grow. I co-founded an organization called Interim Execs that uh, supplies remarkable executives around the world into project-based roles. Very nice. So it, did it, I hit the clock deadline? You do. You did great. You did great. You're, you you know, know, you're a military guy, you know, and I want to, I want right, right as the clock ran out. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Again, I'm kidding. But, no, that was great. So this uh, sort of interim exec role, does that cover all the CXO stuff? I mean, just anything CEO, IO, FO and all that good stuff. Exactly. Uh, at least in our case, it's, it's completely a focus on CEO, CFO, CIO and all of that. Um, you know, there are lots of services uh, when it comes to permanent employment um, across across every every level of employment. In our case, it's all just around uh, the C-suite and yeah. project or fractional roles. Yeah. Now, I'm curious when when you identify these candidates to go fill those roles. Is there a framework that you advocate? Is there a, a set of standards or principles, or are you more about finding just good seasoned talent that knows how to get it done? Funny you should ask that, Doug. Uh, we, we uh, you know, it looks easy now. Interim Execs is a, a well-known organization and, and, you know, we do great work around the world. Initially, we had a business model around free search, which was an utter failure. And, and that was a waste of, of money in three years. And then, then we had a model rigorously curated around association, kind of association model, another bust, because just because people will pay you money does not mean they're actually best in the world. Um, nine years ago, we created a concept we call RED Team. RED stands for Rapid Executive Deployment. That was the winning ticket because it was just a focus on the top one or two percent of executives in, in CEO or CFO or CIO roles. And because we had been approached by so many thousands of executives, we, we had a, a big enough group 
that over a span of years, they could get this, this top uh, tier, could get to know us and we could get to know them to get into a trusting position to actually be able to do this work. It sounds obvious. It's actually a, a highly labored, uh, it, it's a, you, you know, humans, we, we don't come to trust necessarily instantly. Right. Well, and, you know, my experience in, in that span, and, and I've not done anything like you do for that, but I do know and I am aware of a number of situations where private equity and venture capital funds have wanted to place interim executives on, on acquisition properties they bought. And they want people that can set a goal and and help achieve that goal whether it's a you know some kind of creation of multiple or percentage growth in EBITDA or whatever the the standard might be and it's those PEVC guys that are looking for that result so they then can spin that company off and uh um the, the general experience I've had is that number one if you're a qualified executive leader that can fit that bill getting into that game is not necessarily easy it's a it's a matter of lifelong relationship building and proven record because the the no like and trust factor is so incredibly large you're 100 percent right and um well especially for example private equity you know there are many use cases for uh, project-based executives, whether you want to call them interim contract fractional. Um, for example, when a private equity fund buys, say, a family-held business or founder-led, in many cases, the family or the founder, you know, they they have a controller or a bookkeeper and and they kind of, you know, they've, they've just grown up with their own sense of systems and people. And in many cases for private equity funds, that's not rigorous enough for the kind of financial reporting they need from their portfolio companies. And so in many cases, for example, you will see when a private equity fund acquires a new platform company or an add-on to an existing platform, they will upgrade by adding in, for starters, an interim CFO as they go out to search for the permanent person. Right. Right. And, and again, it's, uh, it's a challenge to be a, uh, a candidate and in other words, an individual that has that skill set to crack into that game. Um, but it, if I may ask, so tell me a little bit more about your business model, how you attract these individuals to sit on your bench or be part of the network and then, you know, find those engagements that are available. Well, we've, we've been at this uh, for so long and because we rank very high in search, in search results, that's a benefit not only for clients being able to find us, but executives as well, because we, we, um, we own many of the primary domains around this. By domain, I mean, you know, for example, when I started, before we started interim execs, going way back, I was an interim CEO doing projects. And so I owned the domains. I still do. We still do. Interimceo.com, interimcfo.com, interimcio.com, all of these. And so we tend to get found 
by both companies and executives around the world. So there's a steady inbound flow, for example, of executives who either are already doing this kind of work or seek to be doing it. Um, we also have regular outreach um, because we're, we have very exacting standards. You have to be quite, um, you have to be an exceptional leader um, to do this work well. Um, so much so that, you know, as you know, we recently uh, um, published a book called Right Leader, Right Time. And it was based on all of this experience in terms of ranking and scoring and screening thousands of executives and seeing um, patterns, both a not so good pattern, which was that for the majority of executives, uh, their careers, their leadership journeys were okay, but not exceptional. And on the flip side, seeing the top two, three, four, five 5% exceptional leaders, exceptional careers, and that we spotted this pattern of four different leadership styles that they tended to gravitate to one style, one dominant style and the kind of work and projects they took on. Well, tell us a little bit more about that. What are the four styles and how, you know, how do they show up? The four uh, leadership styles we identify in, in the book, Right Leader, Right Time, are fixer, artist, builder, and strategist. F-A-B-S. And uh, in conjunction with the book or, or more long term, we are also uh, launching a free leadership assessment tool. It's called FABS Leadership Assessment, F-A-B-S, which is the same as the four styles. Interesting. Interesting. So if you would drill down a little bit on each one of those and what are some of the you know uh, high focus attributes that each one brings Fixer is the leadership style of, of the executive who is, they're drawn to running into the burning building. We mean fixer in a, a sense, specific sense though, which is they need to do this over and over again. Yeah. So, so this is the, the leader who fixes the troubled client relationship, the division in a different country, the team that isn't performing well. Um, this is that person who is expert at turnaround. Um, and that's the energy that they bring to it. This is not to say that all, all successful leaders bring each of these four styles to bear. The question is what is dominant from, from what do they get their highest um, success? So that's Fixer. Artist is the leader that views the world as a blank canvas or a piece of clay to be molded. Standout example in the world, Elon Musk. So if you look at Tesla and SpaceX, this is a person painting, you know, on a world canvas. Tesla's yeah. well, painting way outside the lines. <laughs> completely. And and the world really thinks differently. The, the future of electric vehicles, I think, is different because of Elon Musk. The privatization of space travel. I think we really have Elon Musk to thank. He's also a cautionary example because, Doug, as you and I are recording this, uh, there's daily controversy over his acquisition of Twitter. And I would suggest it's because he's not in what we would say his highest and best uses, which is he is not, he, he fixes daily when problems are occurring, but he in his highest and best use is a creator. 
he is an innovator and uh, Twitter does not fit the same model as SpaceX, Tesla, the yeah. boring company, which are more engineering challenges. Yeah. Anyway, that's artist, builder. Now I know everybody in business, we all love to be builders. We mean something more specific, which is the kind of leadership that takes the nascent smaller team product service and is driven to take it to market domination. And that doesn't mean necessarily worldwide. For example, I spent a bunch of time in Boston and there is a phenomenal bakery. And they, it's, it's not just that the quality is great, it's that their locations in Boston and the suburbs, they crush it. I don't know that that bakery is in any other American city, but at the heart of that business, there's a builder. The builder tends when they reach scale to either uh, move on to something else. It could be they keep perfecting their craft, but most veteran builders will move from point of scale to something again that is at earlier stages. Mm, okay. Final strat the final uh, style is strategist. Strategist is the leader at scale. Strategist is the leader who tends to grow up within a large or complex organization where um, there tends to be cross-training. Concepts like gratitude and mentorship are very important in those organizations. You will not hear the same kind of language out of each of these four styles. Fixers, artists, and builders, they do not predominantly tend to talk about gratitude toward an organization, about mentoring individuals there, about longevity, about cross-training. It's a completely different style of leadership. So taking all four of those profiles into consideration, what I'm thinking about is the entrepreneur founder that steps in, he launches from an idea or a, a, a could even be a license if he's buying a franchise type thing, but they've got this energy and drive and in, in their own version of a vision, uh, not to garble those words in my mouth, but version of a vision. As as the company progresses and, and gets to that pivot point of really reaching scale and, and becoming a bigger enterprise, what do you see as the conundrum for that founder and, and wrestling with the potential need to be a little bit of all four of those things? It is, well, it's a great question. And it is, it is the thing that that person needs to solve for themselves, hopefully understanding and embracing the idea that none of us are all things to all people. Right. And that, that is the primary trait of leaders who are not crushing it, it's trying to be all things to all people, trying to do too much. What you tend to see among exceptional leaders is they tend to double down within one dominant style. Yeah, yeah. And it's easy to say, very hard to do, right. especially when you're earlier on in your in your journey in career and leadership. You need the job, you need the status, you need the money. But what happens over time is that successful people tend to reject more of what is not for their highest and best use. Yeah, I think that's a huge lesson. And it, it's something that occasionally and probably more often than not um 
founder owners struggle with because as they start feeling the pressure of needing to be something else for the good of the company, there's either an intentional or subconscious rejection of that saying, no, I'll just keep doing it my way and it'll be okay. You're right. I mean, they're, you know, the proverbial, uh, the guy that owns the sandwich shop, you know, 20 years before when he started it, he was energized and excited to do everything. He was working the front counter and he was taking the money and, and maybe he was cooking the burgers and, and he hired a couple of people. Well, if he's, if he or she is still doing that 20 years later, probably they're burned out. Yeah. And, you know, so you look at the difference between that individual and they're going to be maxed out on on pay and they're not going to be happy versus a McDonald's, you know, and, and Ray Kroc is a an opposite kind of example. But in any given business, there are people trying to figure out how do I scale this up? You know, the reason we all know Bill Gates is not because he was the greatest coder in the world, but because of the fact that he partnered with people like Paul Allen and Steve Ballmer and figured out that even though he loved to code, that to go build an organization, you had to have people around you and some implicit understanding that other people were going to be better than you at many things. Right. Right. And I'm reminded of a story. I did an interview a couple of months ago with a gentleman who was part of a three-man team that had uh, come together as partners to create a business. And it happened to be in the restaurant world out in California. And they scaled it to a $100 million enterprise. And I asked him, you know, how did you deal with those pivot points, those those chapters in the in the legacy of the company when – one or one or all of you three founders were feeling the need that you you had a gap that you couldn't fill on your own. I mean, so, you know, you went out and hired and he said, oh, absolutely. He said that was the beauty of our partnership. We all had minimal ego in the game. We We just had a passion for what we were trying to do. There was a culture they wanted to create and they all came from hospitality jobs. Um, but they had this vision for an environment and an experience they wanted to create in their chain of restaurants. And as soon as they hit those scale moments where they needed somebody else that was a better strategist, for instance, they went out and recruited him, you know, and, and they were not afraid to create a job on the org chart that might've said, you know, CEO, and it wasn't them. You're a hundred percent right. And, in, in the book, In Right Leader, Right Time, we write about some of those leaders. And it doesn't mean they're necessarily not owner anymore. Oh, no. Or do no. not have their equity stake um, to be uh, humble enough, realistic enough uh, to realize somebody better could come in. Yeah. It's a necessary thing. It's really hard. It's easy to say, very, very hard uh, to do. And I, I think for everybody, it's an evolution in terms of how you grow in confidence right. over time. And, and not that everything is successful, but confidence through setback, through failure, um, through having some kind of, of resilience. Well, it's a, it, on one hand, it's a tough pill to swallow because admitting that you need help from outside 
feels like an admission that you've started to fail. And I always encourage my clients to flip that script real quick. You know, no, you haven't failed. You've grown this sucker to be so big. You need help. You know, you need that extra layer. You need that extra energy on your leadership team. And to your point earlier, it has nothing to do with losing equity or losing ownership. You can structure deals and situations, but, you know, to use a simple example, wouldn't you rather have 80% of a hundred million dollar business rather than a hundred percent of a $20 million business? Yeah. You, you know, as you're saying this, I, I do have to say, you know, we've had a number of organizations that had solo owners um, that approached us. And sadly, in many cases, there are owners who would rather uh, go down in flames in a way than be proven wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah, They can make the initial call. But actually, when you present a resource that's, oh, my God, just incredible and in a particular thing, not everybody is is ready to accept that or to pull the trigger. Uh, and it can be to somebody's detriment, but it happens. We all oh, know this. We it, all know it, this. We all know examples of yeah of of someone around us who is flamed out. Yeah. Oh, and it, it, you're spot on. It definitely happens. And and many of my listeners have heard me say this before. That was one of my takeaways from my 20 years in banking. I saw a lot of privately held businesses that had a wonderful platform with some good results that still had a bunch of upside potential, but they either failed to realize that potential or crashed in the process because the founder didn't make that pivot. Right. And it, yeah. it, it it hurt my heart to see them when they did that, and it was like, oh come on, guys, how hard can this be? Why 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 can't you see this opportunity here? I I hope Doug, there's there's something dawning on all of us in business that um, creates a bit of a sea change here. Um, one of the things we wrote about in the book is that there are these other examples that don't yet apply to business. So for example. Um, let's say, you know, you and I are getting to know each other and you say, you got this pain in your foot. And I happen to know the greatest podiatrist in the world and he's in your city. I'm going to recommend him to you, but I'm not going to go recommend a cardiologist. I'm not going to go recommend an OBGYN to you. Well, we've all accepted medical specialization over the past hundred years. And what's the result? It's incredible. Longevity, uh, cessation of pain, just everything in, in terms of we all have better lives because of specialization. The same thing is true in, in law. Uh, you, you know, you, you've got this great new idea. I'm going to recommend a patent or an IP guy. I'm not going to recommend a litigator or someone who's expert in marine law. Not going to happen. In business, oh, now, you know, somebody does one thing right, and we just, especially if they've racked up any money, oh, my God, we just assume they could do everything. Yeah. And we're living through this uh, in a way with FTX. As, as we're talking, there's this implosion in crypto of the platform, the, the market maker, the trading firm FTX. And for a number of people in crypto, basically, they had one smart move 
Um, I'm not saying that of the founder here, but a lot of those people early on, if they bought the right coin, crypto, um, and and hung on, you know, they could look like geniuses for that one move. Uh, FTX is an organization now uncovered um, that in a matter of weeks, you know, went from being the holding of so many venture funds and 32 billion valuation. And, and now what are the stories? There'll be a million creditors. Uh, this thing is going to be winding through litigation and and a hundred related entities went bankrupt and it. It's just, it's a complete disaster. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like your, your main point that the, the lack of specialty in senior leadership is a concept or, or it, it's a challenge to a concept that hasn't been embraced yet. And, and the idea of, being able to earmark senior leaders as maybe go back just to the four archetypes you described and, and doing a good assessment that says, okay, we need a fixer. We, we've got this thing running, but it's maybe bleeding money and, and you, you lost your way in the forest somehow, still a lot of juice in the squeeze. So let's get a fixer in there to stabilize it and turn it around. So, and, and all those other examples play into it. Um, but I tell you what, Bob, it's time for us to take a short commercial break, as is part of our format here. And folks, when we come back, we're going to keep talking about some of these challenges and opportunities that small business leaders uh, can embrace. So hang with us. We'll be right back. Business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them. Become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness too. And the first step is going to DougThorpe.com. Doug Thorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders, improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them. You can find health, wealth, and happiness by learning to lead others to health, wealth, and happiness. Go to DougThorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's Doug, T-H-O-R-P-E.com. All right, everyone, we're back. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm Doug Thorpe, and we're visiting with Bob Jordan. Bob has a, a platform and a company that is called Interim Execs. Is that right, Bob? Yes. Yeah. So I, I do want to kind of double back to the idea of the essence of what that means. And we were talking about the idea that a, a, an owner, founder of a small business may see some evolution in their company and they need to reach out and get that extra help in the in the in or on the leadership team so bob could you give us an example or two of some of the stories and how your service has served that need sure thanks doug so i'll, I'll give you a couple examples uh maybe it'll look a little bit like the good the bad the ugly okay great our organization approached us and they were in crisis family owned in California, Central Valley, all kinds of produce are grown. Two of uh, the major families that grow grapes, table grapes, you know, we have um, on our tables in, in the US, the, those families owned a packaging company and the packaging company equipment broke down, 150 people uh, laid off, customers left. And the family called us and we thought we had the perfect person for the CEO role, and it turned out we did. Uh, we we put somebody in, and uh, from a standing non-start, 
within about eight weeks, uh, uh, equipment was fixed. Top customers came back, 150 people rehired. Uh, you can see a video on this on, on the site at interimexecs.com. The company is called Styrotech. And it was remarkable. And, and you know, we, we realized this is, we're doing God's work here. You know, we're earning a living, a living yes, but, you know, the money, it's, it's not like, you know, an IPO or anything. It's just we're, we're absolutely doing what we should. And you can hear the uh, the owners of that company describe what happened. That was a case of, of uh, utter disaster. Um, another example, um, we've done work with a number of Native American tribes. And it's interesting, if you think about that, everyone immediately thinks, oh, casino. Well, a tribe had approached us, don't own a casino, but they owned a number of companies. They looked remarkably like a private equity fund. They weren't in real trouble, but they did not have great senior leadership at the CEO level, the portfolio level of all their, their dozens of companies. And uh, so we uh, put in a remarkable CEO and um, the tribe, the tribal council, they're all elected. And um, they said we had affected the trajectory of their community generations to come in the future and in just massive value being created and necessary for the tribe. And so again, this is a video testimonial you can see on the site is called the Mi it's the Miami tribe of Oklahoma. Um, but uh, that was an example. I would say as well, you know, we do a lot of work with commercial companies. We also have a lot of nonprofits that show up. Mm. And when that first happened, I have to say my my co-founder and I had no background in nonprofit management. It was kind of like, why are they calling? And then we realized, oh, nonprofits need great management too, or they'll go under. And so this is a never-ending thing for us now that that we're able to help nonprofit organizations showing up it tends to be a different cadre of, of executives who just specialize in nonprofit roles. Um, but again, you can see on the site if any of your listeners want to look, all kinds of nonprofit organizations where um, they've benefited. Uh, cases like, for example, a founder of an organization wanted to retire after 20 years. The process of permanent recruitment for a new executive director of a nonprofit tends to be long tends not to be a quick thing to find the right, right person. Right. And so in many cases, nonprofit organizations will turn to interims in the CEO and the CFO role because their boards need that kind of uh, confidence, comfort, and clarity. They're going to get that the organization is in good hands while they go through the permanent search. Yeah. No, you're right. The nonprofit world is a, a, a specialty. And, and from my view, I think there's been a, I'll call it a, a maturing of, of vision in the nonprofit world, realizing that, yes, as significant as your cause may be that you're trying to serve, you're, you are still a business because money's going to change hands one way or another, whether it's through grants or gifts. And that money has to be deployed and and used properly for the best outcome. And sometimes it just takes 
very qualified business leaders to come in and help make that happen. And they have to have the right mindset. Right. We have, you know, we've been at this so long that we have learned, you know, the first order magnitude is that the mindset of an executive who is project-based or interim or fractional is not the same as someone applying for a permanent job. Yeah. Not. And then there's kind of a second order of magnitude, which is those executives taking on project roles in nonprofits have to understand that those organizations are not the same as for-profit businesses. Uh, it, it just, they're not. The, the sense of culture, the sense of mission, right. um, it has to be honored. And they tend to have a pace that is not the same as most for-profit businesses. No, I totally agree with that. I'm, I'm chuckling. I'm thinking of a nonprofit I actually started a number of years ago and trying to recruit a board. And uh, I, I went out and I got board members that were very, you know, good seasoned business leaders. And it was real quick. I, you know, we were having to kind of temper their their ideas about what we were doing because it same things don't always work in the nonprofit world, and you do have to look at it with a different lens, especially when it comes to your your volunteer workforce that's there. Because nonprofits notoriously don't pay if they pay at all, and it, it's low pay if, if you're going to do it. But most of the work is done by volunteers. And so the way you inspire and motivate a volunteer is totally different from a paid employee, but completely. And you're pointing up something that, that, you know, anyone that thinks that a board of a nonprofit is like the board of a for-profit, whether it is private or a public company. No, absolutely not. Right. And uh, the way that an executive treats the board of a nonprofit and interacts is very different from a for-profit. And we've learned this, uh, through these wonderful executives we've uh, deployed into nonprofit organizations, the, 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 the issues are very different. What a For nonprofit sure. board will do out of great intentions to help, especially if they think the organization is in some distress, uh, what those board members will tend to do is so different from what occurs in a for-profit uh, yeah. organization's board, it's night and day. And, Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. It requires it requires uh, understanding uh, and finesse on the part of the executives going in. Yeah. Well, Bob, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. When we were offline, kind of in the green room, getting ready to do this, you alluded to some observations you've got about things emerging in the business world and the way we work and all the experiences that you've had. Can you uh, get into a little bit of that for us? Sure, Doug. So we were talking uh, about that and, and you know, what, what is also in the news and occurring right now is, is that because people are concerned about a recession coming on, um, you see all these layoffs and the, the most uh, newsworthy ones are in Silicon Valley, uh, Meta, formerly Facebook, for example, um, letting go 11,000 people. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I could say a prior generation, one of two things would happen. Uh, all of those people would be looking for the next permanent jobs. Uh, 
or some of them would go become entrepreneurs. They would they would start their own companies. Well, now there is really a third thing that is going to occur, which is for a number of those people, they're going to move into project-based uh, or fractional roles. And that's all a good thing. A number of those people are gonna experience more career success than they would have had they just stayed within a permanent track. And that's not something that existed before, but more and more is just going to just uh, keep increasing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, what you're describing there is popularly called the gig economy. You know, I stand myself up as uh, someone who's got a certain skill set or, or certain talent, and I'll take on projects to, to do that. And if you need a temporary coder or project manager, program manager, um, engineer, whatever. Um, and there are a number of platforms out there where these people exist, and I'm sure there will be more such platforms emerging in time as, as that part of our economy starts to solidify. Yes. And, and it's, Interesting how even, you know, in the face of a disaster like COVID, that it, it, it advanced all of that because the entire movement of work from home, even when you were in permanent employment, uh, has, has now shifted the equation that you don't necessarily have to be in one location to perform your job. So, so even that is culturally changing a mindset. I'm curious, among your talent pool of these interim executives that you can help place, um, what, what do you think if you surveyed them, maybe you've done this already, but if you surveyed them and asked them their opinion of remote work, what do you think the answer might be? We do uh, survey thousands of uh, interim executives. We're, we're just launching a, a, a new survey. Um, it depends on the role they are taking on. The, the pre-COVID answer would have been fly anywhere, anytime. That is the nature of this kind of work that at a moment's notice, um, that's what these leaders will do. And I should also say, we don't work with retired folks. I know some people have a concept which is they had a, a good long career. They call themselves retired. Now they're going to go back and, and do projects all well and good. That's not our, our um, what, what we uh, term red team. We're, these have to be people still in the prime of their careers who want to crush it. You have to have this 24-7 attitude or, frankly, they're not going to be wowing any board or, right. or um, company owner. So COVID came around. It changed the equation for some of these interims. Some of them continued to fly. Uh, one of our interim CEOs, as he said, into the red zone. Um, what he meant was there were a number of states, if you recall, Doug, where, where you know, there were travel restrictions that were being put on um, and quarantines, if you remember that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, in terms of in or out of particular states. Uh, good times. Glad, glad they're passed. Hopefully they're passed for good. Um, some roles, and, and now there's there's much more of a return to, again, fly anywhere, anytime for the gig, if that is what is is required. 
some roles more so than others. For example, putting a COO, a chief operating officer, into an operating role, all, all of our stuff are operating roles, for a manufacturing business, it's on site. There's no calling it in. It just doesn't work. Um, for a number of other roles in CIO, CFO, for example, there's a hybrid, which everyone uh, is coming around to, that in some cases, it's still 100% on site. And in others, it's a combination and it works fine. Yeah. Uh, we, we lose some things with, with Zoom-based uh, communication, but we've also gained in some ways of efficiency of it being able to assemble a team from around the world and not everybody has to fly in to instantly be glommed onto an issue or a opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Well, in some of the uh, bigger company environments where I'm asked to do some executive coaching, there's still an ongoing debate and struggle about leaders, and, and this is all very directly tied to leadership uh, um, styles and personalities. You know, those that are bent more toward command and control, they can't stand the idea of anybody working at home. You you know, you got to get in the office. I don't care what your excuse is. And I, I had a placement agency owner recently that told me that he's actually turned clients down if that's what the client company says is their standard. He says he's going to call it a non-starter for his relationship. He, he, he at least needs to be able to negotiate hybrid opportunities. And if, if, and a hybrid may just be one day a week at home, you know, take, take your fifth day and you can work from home. But, um, I think it does go back to leadership styles and mindsets. And I, I feel like the traditional command and control is starting to wane, if nothing else, from some sense of empowerment that most of the workforce seems to have. And they just simply are saying, I don't want to, I don't want to work in that environment. There's a survey research now, especially with millennials being a, a huge cohort in the workforce that older millennials are more traditional in terms of highest priorities around pay um, and role and longevity plays more. And that younger millennials, there's much more emphasis on flexibility and uh, comfort, if you will. Yeah. And I think among those younger millennials, it's that's why your, your friend, the recruiter, um, spotted that because for a lot of roles demanding those younger millennials, it's a non-starter um, if they cannot have more control over their own careers. Yeah. yeah. I will also say, you know, because we, all the work we did around the book, Right Leader, Right Time, there were these commonalities among exceptional leaders. And one, we labeled it as no hiding. It was getting at authenticity. And there are plenty of leaders. I mean, they, it's kind of a sad, funny story, but we heard about a CEO of a public company and he called an all hands on deck Zoom call, thousands of people in the Zoom call and exhorting everybody that you got to get back into the headquarters. It just doesn't count if, you, if, if you're not getting back in the headquarters. Well, to a man and woman, they all know that that CEO lives over a thousand miles away from the headquarters and he does not show up every week at headquarters. <laughs> 
Well, making this demand of hourly workers and people modestly paid where paying tolls and sitting in traffic for an hour is, is painful and matters for daycare and everything else. Um, it, it could be a message to, to those leaders, which is we see you. Yeah. And we, we know you are not being authentic or genuine and your people know it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a real disconnect right there. That's amazing. Well, Bob, I tell you what, I think we're about up on our time here. Tell everybody how they can get a hold of you if they're interested in knowing more. Thanks, Doug. I can be reached at uh, the website interimexecs.com. Perfect. We will have that in the show notes. And one last time, Bob, thanks a bunch for joining us here. I think this has really been uh, a, a great uh, great line and uh, uh, hopefully helpful to those who might be listening. Thank you, Doug. It's been a pleasure. I do want to remind everybody that we have a video version of this over on our YouTube channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. You can hop over there and uh, see our bright, shiny faces with a, with a little bit of uh, wisdom showing in our hairline. But uh, <laughs> uh, please join us over there. Subscribe to the channel and leave us a comment. Let us know if you've got an idea for a topic or a guest we really ought to get in, uh, in touch with. We'll be happy to do that. So for now, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, and have a great day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.